0: It is 6 p.m. on the dot, and you're listening to KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. My name is Christopher Biddle, and we are about to bring you a special live broadcast Q&A with local officials here in the Gunnison Valley concerning their response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the reopening of the Gunnison Valley, a look at what tourism might look like this summer here regionally. We are joined this evening by Public Health Director Joni Reynolds, Board of County Commissioner member roland mason and yeah we (laughs) could we say hi to uh joni reynolds to make sure we're all good here hi joni how are you
1: hi good evening chris
0: and roland mason how are you good
2: chris
0: thanks all right thank you for joining us john norton director of the tourism and prosperity project hello hello john how are you
3: all good here christopher
0: and andrew sandstrom public information officer with gunnison county thanks for being with us andrew
4: Yeah, thanks for having me,
0: Chris. And as always, my partner in this series uh, has been with us for several weeks now, Uh, Chris Rourke, editor of the Gunnison Country Times. It's always so nice to have you, Chris. Thanks. Chris, you're muted still. Um, we're going to go ahead and start off with some news that came out today. Uh, we want to know more about guidance regarding events, and we're going to just go ahead and send it right on over to Andrew Sandstrom, uh, to get it sort of straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, public information officer with Gunnison County. Can you tell us, Andrew, uh, what are the dates and numbers that we need to know?
4: And and so you know currently we've uh, we've begun subgroup discussions um, via the Ice lab group to give guidance um, back to uh, all those folks that are planning events um, and you know while we don't know exactly uh, what the summer will hold we are we are working with the groups to get creative within the the guidelines and, and the expectations that will be set. Um, I think Joni might be able to speak to actual numbers um, a little bit better uh, regarding the group size, but we did want to go ahead and get the discussion started with these events so that they can understand what they might expect uh, moving into the summer and fall.
0: Sure. And a lot of what we did get today, of course, was prefaced with, uh, you know, it's likely, it's probable, it's a chance. This is what we might be looking at. We all know that Uh, Throughout anything here, we're all sort of keeping our eyes on whether or not there will be a second wave of COVID-19 in Gunnison Valley. Um, You know, these are numbers that could change, but um, at least we do have some guidance now on what events may look like. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Joni Reynolds? Hi,
1: it's Joni. Yes, indeed, Chris. I do think the summer's gonna look different and I think one of the drivers this summer will really be creativity. I think the creative um, work that'll be done to really redefine and recreate events in the Valley will be really critical. I've seen um, some proposals that have been submitted in the work group that Darcy and Ashley are leading for us is really tremendous to be able to talk about what some of the opportunities might be and what that can look like starting at um, a group size of 10 at this point through um, at least through the end of the month is anticipated well into um, July is possible. Group size of 25 to 50 could be later this summer, uh, possibly 25 inside, 50 outside. Um, The guidance from the state is uh, really limited at this point and so is the data. The data really looks um, not promising at this point, but of course we have weeks to go Data can adjust over time, but currently, uh, based on the uh, case rates and what's happening, uh, particularly along the front range, it looks like the group size won't change for some time.
0: And so you talked about later this summer. Uh, I just wanted to sort of clarify what I have here in my notes that I believe were presented to um, an events group, sector group this morning uh, via video conference, where May and June events will be restricted to 10 people uh, July events are where we will, uh, start possibly seeing up to groups of 25 that's in July. And this is all outdoors by the way. And then in August, uh, again, this is all sort of prefaced with the, this, this, this wording here says it is plausible. that group sizes may increase to allow up to 25 people indoors and 50 people outdoors. You mentioned some guidance from the state. What is coming from the state right now? What is coming from the state? What's, what's being decided on locally? So, so
1: the state is um, at a group size of 10 with no date certain of when that group size could change. We are working at Incident Command to put forth a variance package to the state. And one of the variances that I've asked for is to look at group size here in Gunnison County up to a group size of 25 that we could do based on Gunnison County data that wouldn't necessarily be based on the state's data. Of course, the state's gonna make decisions for the entire state and it would be beneficial for us to be able to make decisions specifically here for Gunnison County, albeit we are a crossroads. And so we have traffic that comes from throughout the state and throughout the nation, of course, even uh, globally. So that'll be part of the consideration when we think about group size. But it does make sense um, that some of the events that occur here um, outside could benefit from having a group size up to 25, particularly during this summer.
0: Um, So I got another question for you, Joni, and then I'd like to send it on over to John Norton to talk about what this means for tourism in the Gunnison Valley this summer. Um, Are we going to get any more kind of details about space or area that this applies to you? You know, I'm seeing a a possibility for some loopholes. For instance, could there be two groups of 10 people doing the same thing as long as the groups remain separate by so many feet? Uh, You know, can there be groups of 30 people that are doing a raft trip as long as they're all on you know, 10 people per boat. Um, tell us a little bit more about how that factors in.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Chris. This is Joni again. And indeed, um, I do think that those are some of the creative solutions that have already been uh, considered and that groups are, are looking to put forward for events, such as the Wildflower Festival, where they may be able to have more than one group that's working um, or going out for a different hike or a different experience but they uh, stagger them and their check-in process and they stagger their um, start times to be able to successfully have multiple groups at the same time without having an intersection between those groups.
2: Joni, can I just jump in for a minute? Um, I did speak to the state also today and they said currently we are at 10 or less and that expires with the order on the 27th. Am, Am I clear in understanding that should the state want to continue with the limit at 10, you are seeking a variance to go bigger because we have outdoor space, is is that correct? That is correct. I would at least like to be
1: able to make that decision based on Gunnison County data that may look differently than what it looks like across the state. And that's the variance request that I'm asking is that we have that latitude to be able to look at group sizes greater than 10, not greater than 25, but based on Gunnison County's needs and data.
2: What, what's your feeling about how the state will receive that?
1: I feel positive about that. I think the work that's been done here in Gunnison County has been stellar. I think our data is strong and I think our plan is strong of how we're gonna to monitor to see if we do have any concerns. So I feel positive about that. I've not requested a variance yet from the state, so I'm not really sure uh, what their process will be, but I think it, I think we have, a. am optimistic about the response.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: So now that we have those guidelines and have a better understanding of what we may be able to do based on how to keep the population healthy, uh, John Norton, uh, you know, you have a lot of experience in the tourism, uh, world here in Gunnison County and, and Colorado. What are some things that we should know, um, that business owners and residents and, uh, you know, members of this economy should know going into this summer and how uh, the county plans to make money?
3: Yeah, uh, let me take a step backwards first. The the county just released, released its uh, lodging sales numbers through March, uh, late last week. And I was shocked, and I think everybody was shocked that March was only down 12% in a month where we were half closed. And so, uh, uh, our lodging revenues through the end of March were positive versus the previous year, positive versus 2019, which is just it just speaks to what st- what kind of strong year we were having. Now we've you know April's obviously a bunt, a bust, that was our that's our number ten out of twelve month, and May is going to be a bust, but that's our smallest month of the year, and as we roll into summer. And and I'll make the comment here. I was I was talking to uh, my counterpart in Telluride today. They still have no guidance for reopening. And and so if if you ask the lodge in, in Telluride uh, when they could take reservations or for what dates, they would tell you they don't know yet. And and you know thanks to Joni, we do know. And it's May twenty seventh at twenty five percent occupancy. Although for May twenty seventh. occupancy would be a-okay I think by most people and then 50% by June 15th and then 100% by the end of the month. Uh, I'm bullish on the summer relative to other places and and for a couple reasons. One we're not events driven in terms of our travel. You know a lot of people come to our Fourth of July parade in Crested Butte but they don't travel from New York to go to the fourth of July parade, they're just here. And so that's going to be, have to be modified some way. But compared to Telluride, Aspen, Vale, Steamboat, other places, we, we don't have an events driven tourism market. Uh, second, uh, you know, what, what people do avail themselves of are our trail system and being outside. And everything we read about in, uh, in the research is is being outside is much less dangerous than being inside Uh, and that our chances of contracting the virus outside are much less, assuming we're keeping some kind of distance, uh, outside than inside. And then I've also seen a bunch of research, people do not want to get on airplanes and we're a drive market, not a fly market by and large. It's not that we don't have people fly here. But we're, we're strongly influenced to driving versus Telluride and, uh, let's say, Aspen and Vail in particular. And so those three factors should have us recovering faster than the other places. I can't make any predictions about what it's going to look like. But in my research, uh, it, 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 two things are true. Three things are true. Uh, one, uh, people want to travel okay everybody's been cooped up and they're going stir crazy uh two uh people want to travel by car and not by plane they just don't want to get on an airliner and then three people want to travel uh where they think they're going to be safe and where things and so the the packets coming out from the the you know and county health and, and andrew the pio with you know, the posters and the protocols and everything, I think are going to make people feel pretty comfortable about coming to the Valley. This assumes we don't have another outbreak. And, and while I don't have a crystal ball about what the summer is going to look like, I just think we're going to do better than other people.
2: So John, I'm going to jump in here because quite often you use comparisons to other markets to show how well we're doing, but there are people listening that, that, They don't care what Telluride's doing. They care what their bottom line is going to be. And a couple of weeks ago, you and I um, exchanged some questions. And you said that you were ready to start marketing. Are you cooling off on that at all based on what events do look like or what the guidance is coming from the state? Because I think it's great whatever Telluride's doing. And it's great that we've got what we've got going on. But people want to know not necessarily how in comparison we're going to do to other markets, but what's your outlook about what our summer is going to look like in comparison to what we're used to is there a survivability here um are you planning to market to mountain bikers as you've done in the past promoting those trails i mean what are you intending to do to really kind of help that uh summer economy get going
3: yeah i'd be crazy if i told you i could predict what our summer is going to look like uh but uh we're launching a $300,000 media blast, uh, mostly at the state at the end of this week, uh, which includes a welcome back video, you know, rock and roll, we're ready to go. And that's going to be followed by a ton of social and electronic media to people who visited here before, our past guests that we have a good handle on, mountain bikers, hikers, nature lovers, and that's primarily going to be in the state. And after that first wave, and we see what happens uh, with other straight travel orders, right? Then then we'll expand to places. I assume, and and this this can change by the week, but I think we're going to expand to Texas, Oklahoma, California, Arizona, uh, the drive markets, New Mexico. Uh, but we're we're coming out firing, and and whether we get. The numerical results that we've gotten in the past, uh, I can't tell you, but are we giving it our best shot uh, right out of the start? Uh, uh, You bet uh, we are. And and I I think we're going to get a lot of takers.
2: So you think we'll be more competitive than the other markets um, because they don't have guidelines in place for lodging and because you're going to do this media blitz? Is that what I'm understanding?
3: Well, they don't have guidelines. They're event driven and the events just nothing i read suggests that events are going to happen i mean i've got a nephew who's a a music promoter in austin texas and he said they've taken everything off their books until december 2020. you know so they're not thinking about the summer they're not even thinking about the fall and they're hoping they can salvage uh, christmas but that's not our market you know we don't have thousands of people coming to as an example blues and and telluride or telluride bluegrass And, and so that's another reason I I think we'll do well. And then the the final reason is we've got a big drive market and, and people do not want to get on airplanes and, but people I think will drive to the Gunnison Valley um, this summer to fish, to hike, to uh, mountain bike. And those are all activities that We almost know it intuitively and then it's been proven by science now that it's a much harder uh, to catch the virus outside uh, than it is inside an enclosed space.
0: So, John, I wanted to ask, we have, uh, you know, the the expiration of the statewide stay at home order being it's supposed to end May 27th. That was set a long time ago now are you confident that the state orders will expire when they say they will? And are you confident that we will eventually be able to welcome out of state drivers? Um, I'm wondering, and you know, has, has, have you already started with this marketing campaign or is that something that you're going to wait until we know for sure that it will, you know, reopen May 27th or um, yeah. Um, Well,
3: you know, I'm confident that Jonah is going to be able to make this happen if the rest of us, continue to take care and and stay healthy. And we're not going to wait until May 27th to tell people from Denver and Boulder and Grand Junction that they can come here on May 27th. We're going to launch this Friday with the assumption that 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 people are going to be coming. And you know, we've encouraged lodging properties to take you know, reservations starting when we know we can take reservations.
0: Uh, Sure. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to KBUT Community Radio live broadcast of Q&A with local officials discussing uh, the response to COVID-19 crisis here in Gunnison Valley and uh, moving towards the next phase where we're trying to reopen the economy, getting ready for a tourist-driven economy this summer. We want to make sure to include Board of County Commissioner Member Roland Mason in this conversation. And Roland, I wanted to ask you, last week the Board of County Commissioners put aside an additional $100,000 in a fund for small business loans. Are you counting on that loan money that is going, I I believe that's the Pay It Forward program, correct me if I'm wrong there. Are you counting on the money coming back from those loans in order to... Uh, you know, replenish the COVID-19 response fund? Or are there any other ways that you're looking to put money back into the COVID-19 response fund, which has already, uh, I believe, been uh, depleted more than half? Um, What are your plans for that?
5: Yeah. So um, this is Roland Mason. Hi, everybody. Um, You know, we've initially started out with $250,000 to um, help businesses as a pay it forward uh, loan um, with you know potential, um, I don't know, we are trying to figure out how to give somebody some incentives if they could pay it back within six months, but with a really um, low interest rate, if it took um, up to two years, I believe is what it is. Um, that was for 75, a cap of $7,500. Every single, I think we received 60 businesses um, right off the bat in one day that were interested in that loan. And each one of those businesses was asking for the full amount. So the $7,500. So the math says we could service about 30, I think 32 or 33 of those loans. And so there was a pretty big number that that basically we're told that you gotta wait and see if there's more funding. So we did release uh, another 100,000 out of uh, a $615,000 amount that the county has put aside for. Immediate response, mid kind of short to mid-term uh, help or response, and then long-term response. Um, we did pull another hundred thousand out of that, and um, I haven't gotten an update. Actually, I probably will get one tomorrow at our uh, work session on how that that fund is working. But the idea is that if people can pay it back, um, you know, once maybe the summer does kick in, if it if it looks like um, it. We are going to see the, the tourism. We are going to see openings. and we do keep that curve uh, low, then people will be able maybe to pay it back in the fall. When who knows what could happen, but some other businesses might be needing it then. But honestly, I think taking it as a loan as opposed to a grant, which I believe the city of uh, the city of Gunnison and the town of Crested Butte offered, um, kind of gives us that opportunity to extend that those funds. So. It's just going to depend on how much, mu- how much income and how much tourism we get, I think, through the summer on whether or not people are going to be able to pay it back shorter or long-term.
0: Do you have any other idea for how you may, uh, you know, increase the funds in the COVID-19 response fund?
5: Yeah, we've currently, um, currently I don't have any, um, we, every week when we meet, we do have, um. Meetings on Monday, or excuse me, on Tuesdays and on Thursdays, potentially. So, we're still trying to figure out how that COVID fund can be replenished. Um, we're we're hoping we can get some help from the state, but that that's always a tricky thing. Um, based on every other county is asking for that same kind of help, so it's going to be that's going to be a work in progress. But we're definitely working on that daily.
0: Um and I wanted to ask specifically a little bit more about the future of that Pay It Forward program. Now that we know, for instance, that uh, businesses that rely on events might be hit especially hard this summer. Uh, you know, will there be any modifications to that program that perhaps provides additional uh support to some sectors of the economy um, and not others, or how will that how will the Pay It Forward program sort of evolve um as time goes on?
5: I think. I think currently um, we're just going to have it as I mean it was open as a first come first serve uh, region 10 is administering and underwriting that loan program it's. I I have not done it myself, but I heard it um, had some glitches with people trying to get in on the first rent ra- on the first kind of attempts, but. Um, I think it's still going to be. I don't think we're going to tailor it to a specific group unless we you know, start seeing maybe a really, really a real dire need by a specific group. And I understand that events, whether, you know, they're nonprofits um, or or people that work in the event industry are really going to have a, a hard time this summer. And I'm hoping that one, that there's some more midterm um, funding sources that become available. And two, that we do see maybe a little bit more positive or optimistic look on how, um, people can spend money here, and us still keeping the, um, you know, the disease at bay, if you will. So we don't have to shut things down. So we can actually continue to to open things up uh, wider and wider as the summer moves forward.
0: Uh, Chris Rourke, I believe you had a question for Roland.
2: Yeah, yeah, Roland. Um, we have the potential of some. We have lodging properties in the unincorporated county and we have the potential of them sort of slipping through the cracks when it comes to getting the resources they need to maybe stay afloat. I know the Chamber of Commerce has written a letter asking for the local marketing district. You are in another capacity on the board of the local marketing district. Is there any uh, chance that money from the LMD will be used to help these properties stay afloat maybe through some kind of grant program or loan program?
5: Yeah, there was um, there was a letter sent from the um, Chamber of Commerce in Gunnison and saying that you know lodging, they were the ones that did have to to shut down mid March or maybe even a little bit earlier than mid March, and they're the ones that are going to be probably some of the slowest to roll things out. Currently, we don't have we haven't really discussed the um, of creating a grant within the LMD. I do know that the discussions that we've had have been around, you know, around the marketing piece. Once we can become, uh, you know, available to tourists, once people can start coming in, whether it's from the state first and then coming from other states, you know, we want to be to make sure we have funds to actually reach out to those people and let them know that we are open for business and how open we are. I think it's really Mm -hmm. important and, and something that, you know, John said, he's ready to, To go gangbusters on it, but I think some of that marketing piece and some of that information piece needs to be, kind of, how we're going to open things up. It's not going to be like it was last last summer, unfortunately. But with certain precautions um, and certain things in place, that we can be, I think, more successful than um, than maybe some other areas because we've, you know, I feel that. We kind of learned a lot in late February and early March, um, right when we had a lot of people here at the time. And I think we're learning from some, you know, we're basically, this is, I think that was a really big learning curve for us. And so we can use those those instances and some of the things that that happened then to really try to roll out this summer, which is also a really big, um, you know, big time for us, especially in mid June to late June and July to um, you know to get the best bang for our buck but also the safest so
3: if if i could jump in on top of rolling on that one chris the the return on investment from the ta funds has been really strong uh the past years and what businesses in the valley need more than anything else are revenues tourists second homeowners here uh spending money and any scenario where I've seen taking money out of the TA budget and and doesn't make sense in the bigger picture.
2: So that's a no, John.
3: Well, not up <laughs> to me.
2: I <laughs> know it's Sorry. not. Okay. I do have a question for you though. Speaking of lodging, what about CBMR? Are you in are you in contact with them? Are you talking with them? Are you coordinating any kind of plans for the summer?
3: Absolutely. And and they're taking business starting June 1st.
2: Okay. Um, and then have you received any reports from the lodging industry, you know, booking rooms? Are they getting a good response since they've, since they've been given a timeline? You would think that, that those bookings will start getting on um, with it. And have you heard of, you know, what kind of activity they're having?
3: We'd usually typically, and, and Andrew, weigh in here if, if I don't have this right, but we typically get this through the Destimetrics reports. Right, because things have been so shut down, people haven't been keeping uh, up on. And so we don't have a good quantitative. Analysis of people trying to put business on the books, although anecdotally, we're hearing about people still trying to make reservations and that's a good sign.
2: Well, do you believe that will offset cancellations? I know there have been cancellations, too.
3: I do.
4: And one, one thing that I would um, add to that is, you know, particularly in this uh, climate of unknowns being more restricted to drive markets, um, I think we'll see a, a major tightening in the booking window. So I think people are you know, likely to book the couple days before, um, you know, for fear that possibly orders could change in the state or in a county on the way or, or you know, there is some, certainly some uncertainty there. So I think the long range bookings or the longer travel um, lead time bookings uh, are, are likely the ones that canceled. And I think, you know, with the drive market, it is always a closer in booking anyway, and then throw in the uncertainty of COVID. And I think that we'll likely see much tighter booking windows.
0: Uh, May I I bring up a point that I'm wondering about uh, where where do public land managers fall into this? Um, Are they members of the lodging industry because they have so many campsites that I can only assume are going to increase in popularity yet again this summer um, because of COVID-19 and because that's the general trend that we've seen as well? Uh, but where are they in this conversation? And I know that we don't have any representative of public land managers in this conversation, but I imagine that many of us uh, are interacting with them and, and, and may have some insight into um, how public land managers may be uh, thinking about an influx of visitors to the region. I'm just going to leave that open to anybody who might feel like they could answer.
4: And, and Chris, this is Andrew. Um, happy to answer that. We have been uh, meeting with the land managers so that they understand our local orders um as well as uh you know just continuing that communication and i I think you know one thing to consider is that we really would like and, and we're working on some messaging around responsible camping um there is some concern um that the we will not be able to have the same type of response that we typically would to a wildfire um, based on you know the camps that go and fight the wildfires or won't be able to social distance some of those things and so uh, we are in constant contact with the land managers um, one piece that has been set up if you go to westslopeinfo.com westslopeinfo.com is a conglomerate of all the western slope counties as well as land managers to uh, inform visitors of all the uh, orders in the different counties and then different land managers because they all are uh, running slightly different currently um, along with that we're hoping to roll out some messages about uh you know responsible camping during a pandemic and part of that might mean it's maybe safest to not have a campfire um, so that is something we are in constant contact with those land managers um, and you know, working to responsibly open up things, um, just like we are here locally with the businesses. Well,
2: and I think that that fire danger, Andrew, uh, is not just due to, you know, the response with COVID. I mean, we're dry. We had some rain today, but we're, you know, working on a story right now where there's concern about fire danger that's growing across the state. So, you know, that plays into it. It's not just a COVID thing.
4: No, I, I totally agree. And, and as we know, the, the fire situation changes every year, depending on precipitation. I think we ended at about average snowpack this year, but we've had an unseasonably warm and dry spring. And so that, you know, obviously starts to dry things up quicker. Uh, and so again, with via that West Slope info page, we hope to you know, continually update those fire restrictions because, you know, currently you can't in the U.S. Forest Service, but you can have a fire in BLM and it it can be confusing. And, and so the goal is is to begin to build up some messaging that's more evergreen that is is speaking about the, uh, you know, responsible camping. Um, you know, like I said, it's not just the response. It could be a bad fire year regardless of if we we're dealing with COVID, but we don't know that.
0: Yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. My name is Christopher Biddle, and we are bringing you uh, a live panel discussion on uh, the reopening of the Gunnison Valley, how to proceed with a tourist-driven economy uh, here in the Colorado High Mountains. It's 6.32 right now. We will take a short break here for Station ID, and we'll be right back.
6: Thanks for tuning in to KBUT. As the weeks continue to bring unimaginable news and events, everyday life has changed for now and can leave us uncertain on how to respond. KBUT's response is a commitment to providing you with news you can trust with verified information relevant to our community. We'll continue to work closely with federal, regional, and local authorities to keep you abreast of the ever-changing situation so that you can make safe and informed decisions for you and your family. At the same time, we're also dedicated to maintaining a sense of normalcy while promoting responsible practices. Our staff and DJs, sometimes working from their makeshift home studios, will continue to provide you with the musical escape and companionship you've come to trust. We believe that music heals and can bring us together in times of crisis, even when we're physically distant from each other. Thanks for tuning in.
5: This is 90.3 KBUT Crested Butte and 88.7 KGNI
4: Gunnison. The music you hear on KBUT is
0: programmed by volunteers. Did you have a radio show in the past and you want to bring it back? Or maybe you're a longtime listener and you've thought to yourself, hey, I could be on the radio. Well, at KBUT, you can. Volunteer DJs undergo training, make a demo, and start filling in shows. That's how it works. Visit KBUT.org slash volunteer to sign up today. Thank you for listening to KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. We're going to jump back into our panel discussion now. Uh, We are joined, however, I want to let everyone know they're uh, our guests before we get back in. We are joined right now by Public Health Director for Gunnison County, Joni Reynolds. Hi, Joni. How are you? Hi, Chris. Roland Mason, a member of the Board of County Commissioners. Hi, Roland. Hey, Chris. Uh, Andrew Sandstrom, a public information officer with Gunnison County. Hi, Andrew.
4: Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: And John Norton, director of the Tourism and Prosperity Project. Thank you for joining us tonight, John.
3: Christopher, glad to be here.
0: And as always, of course, I am joined by uh, my partner in this series, Chris Work, editor at the Gunnison Country Times. Always so nice to have you, Chris. Chris.
3: Thanks, Chris.
0: Um, so we do have a little bit of other news that I wanted to get to. We want to talk about, um, some new availability for, uh, antibody testing. I think that that's an important thing to discuss on tonight's show. Uh, however, I do think that we ought to, uh, focus in a little bit more on some of these groups, uh, the, the group, uh, events, group size being permitted here this summer, you know, just quickly, this is, uh, you know, going Looking at the numbers that we were presented with and, and kind of going down a list of what I could come up with in my head uh, of, of what might be affected. We're talking about concerts. Obviously, that's a really top uh, top line thing. Concerts being heavily affected by this, if not outright canceled altogether. Uh, weddings. Uh, I, I mean, I've been to plenty of weddings. There are more than 25 people. Um uh thinking about whether or not the bars will open, uh, thinking about whether or not we'll be able to have cattleman's days, whether or not we'll be able to host conferences, uh, group recreation, things like uh, group soccer. Um, so I'm just wondering, I, you know, I suppose Joni, this is a question for you. are there other are things that we know just will not happen this summer? Are, can we count on cattleman's days at all?
1: Thanks, Chris, for the question. I think, Cattlemen's Days would have to look drastically different than cattlemen's Days has historically in order for that event to be successful and for our community to be protected. There are many things that we need to do to protect the community and we we have some of those in place currently when we think about some of the commitments around hand washing and sanitation and use of face covers and social distancing or having that physical space between us. But in addition to that, the size group matters and the group that The the interactions in the group matter. So 10 folks hanging together themselves is a different risk than 100 that intermingle at groups of 10 no larger at any one point. That exponentially increases your intersection and your opportunity for spread of illness. What we're seeing across the state is quite a bit of variability when it comes to both the case incident rate, meaning how many cases are occurring um, throughout the counties, as well as what's happening as far as the flattening of the curve. That looks very different. And when you look at the state data, we have several large swaths of the state that remain in the red zone, in the zone where they have not yet successfully flattened the curve. That's different for us here in Gunnison County. We've been successful in flattening the curve, but yet we still continue to see case numbers increase, albeit slowly, we're still continuing to see cases increase one or two at a time. And those cases, again, we're encircling them to try to limit their spread and find out where those cases may have been exposed. But the reality is we have to live with this. And to live with this, we have to learn how to manage it differently than we have anything else previously. There's a reason to be hopeful about where we can go in the future. but There has to be some realism there, too, about how do we balance the needs and balance the opportunities at the same time. And that's going to be a struggle. It certainly is. I do have a lot of faith in the creative energy in this county. There is more creativity than I've seen anywhere in the past. <clears throat> but finding that creative avenue will be a, a tremendous challenge for events like Cattlemen's
2: Days. Tony who is it that um, applies for a state variance? Is it possible that uh, a variance could be obtained for Cattlemen's Days?
1: Currently, the state process allows for a county to apply for a variance. If they follow specific requirements, it requires them to provide a justification and data support as well as a a suppression plan for the county. They're also required to get uh, a letter um, acknowledging their support from their hospital or healthcare system in their county or multiple ones if they have multiple systems, which obviously many counties do. They also need to have a board of county commissioners um, vote that supports the request and that has to be submitted from the public health office or the public health authority within the county.
2: So then you have to have a p- plan in place. You have to have, uh, you you have to make the recommendation, the board of county commissioners has to approve it. Um, so there, there's a number of steps that have to be taken then and then what are the chances it gets approved?
1: Yeah, it's unclear to me about the chances, Chris. There's, there's a committee that's set at the state health department There's been very little transparency into their process, their timeframes, or their uh, approval rates. We've asked for that among the directors of public health, but we've not yet been provided that by the state. Um, It appears to have their uh, top executive leadership, um, including their chief medical officer, their chief legal counsel, uh, their chief executive director uh, that are part of that, along with the state epidemiologists, I'm sorry, that are part of that committee, but their actual process is not clear to me, and it hasn't been clear to others, uh, my other colleagues around the state and public health departments.
2: So to, to be clear, you can't just say, hey, let's have cattleman's days and make an exception. It has to go to another step, and then there's no guarantee that you get that from the state. Is, that, is Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, it has to be data-driven, and it has to be a plan that's going to support the request Um, is the requirement to submit it in addition to the approval of the healthcare system or the hospital system along with the uh, county commissioners. And there is no clear uh, guidance, at least at this point, of what they're approving or not approving. As you know, there's been two that have been approved to date in Eagle, and in Mesa County. Uh, When I look at the map, Uh, that CCI has put together Colorado counties, Inc. It looks like there are many counties that have requested variances, but none of there's no visibility into when they were requested, what the status is of those requests, or um, if any of those have been denied. So it's a (laughs) crapshoot. That that may be a good way to describe it because it's certainly not clear.
2: Okay. Chris, you had some questions from listeners, right?
0: Yes. I'd like to get to some questions from listeners. I do want to mention that you're listening to KBUT community radio for the Gunnison Valley It's 6.42 right now. We're going to be going up until 7 p.m. with tonight's discussion, although, of course, we will continue doing this series. We've gotten a great response so far. We appreciate everyone who participates in it. If you'd like to submit questions before the end of this, you can go to our Facebook page, COVID-19 in the Gunnison Valley. That's a a group page specifically for this program. You can also just find that on our KBUT Facebook. uh, And there's also information at kbut.org. That's also where you can listen to all of the previous recordings. Uh, And as I did mention, I want to make sure that we get to some of our listener questions. Uh, And here is a listener question uh, has there been any consideration of giving up entirely on having any sort of tourist driven economy for this summer and funneling that money then into relief efforts for businesses that would be affected? So I'm going to say that that's a question for John Norton. John, would you like to answer that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Clarify uh, for us.
2: No, you don't want to answer or no, the money's not going that way.
0: <laughs> no,
3: no. That hasn't been given any consideration. You know, if, if we were going to be closed, if Joni made, you know, the state said, okay, we're, we're done until the ski season. Well, then of course we think differently about what we're doing right now. But we fully believe we're going to be open on May 27th for lodging. Uh, we fully believe people want to come here. We fully believe... Uh, we're a great place to come, and we have the the programs put put together that are gonna drive people here. And we also fully believe that there's nothing we could do better for the businesses in the valley than to drive business here uh, through the summer. and we think we'll be successful in that. So
0: okay. That's, Sure, the explanation of the no. sure. And, and that's fine, because we're trying to get through some listener questions here. So uh, this one probably is for Joni Reynolds. When will second homeowners be able to visit without the seven day quarantine?
1: Thanks for that. That is uh, something that's contemplated in this next set of public health orders that I expect to issue tomorrow that I um, expect to have included in there uh, some recommendations around isolating from other persons for all uh, residents in the county, uh, for any travel out of the county and back into the county, but that would be inclusive of part-time, full-time and all residents. So there would be uh, no restriction, uh, that'll be limit. that will be included in the next set of public health orders tomorrow, effective on the
2: 15th of this month. And June, so, can- one, uh, um, uh, Just let me. Uh, Go ahead. You uh, can a quick question. In in that ninth amended uh, order that you're talking about, it talks about potentially restaurants opening maybe around the 27th with restrictions. Is there any chance restaurants can look forward to opening without restrictions at any time this summer?
1: I would anticipate there would be um, a, the possibility of no restrictions later in the summer, where there would be allowances for additional um, capacity in those ha- in those uh, restaurants. I also Um, included restaurants in my variance request to the state because one of the things I want to be able to do is have restaurants be able to open up before we have uh, crowds of folks in our county and I hope we have crowds just like John's describing this summer and we're able to manage those effectively uh, with the limits on the crowd size and all the other public health measures that are implemented but I'd like uh, the the restaurants to be able to open in time to be able to practice some of what their new policies are going to be and how they're going to implement those uh, successfully and not have that done on say Memorial Day weekend, but have some time to do that in advance of any kind of uh, increase in uh, public traffic. And so that that's one of the reasons I'm including that in the variance request to give that opportunity for us to make that decision locally here so that we can give that latitude.
0: Okay. Joni, I wanted to ask if we can get any update on uh, public health orders regarding age, uh, those 60 years and older.
1: Sure. Um, Also included in the next uh, public health orders that I expect to sign tomorrow morning is to change the um, at-risk age from 60 to 65, really based on U.S. data that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, has published Um, that's really focused in on the highest risk um, exponentially for hospitalizations and mortality uh, related to COVID uh, starts at age 65. I also um, uh, expect to include in the public health order uh, a change in the wording such that it doesn't restrict or limit individuals that are in that at-risk category from participating while I strongly discourage anyone at risk from Um, taking any undue risks, uh, it should be their choice. And I want to be able to provide that opportunity for them to make that decision, of course, with employer support to be able to make the best accommodations to safely protect employees that may be at risk.
0: So we have another listener's question submitted here, and this is something that's been brought up uh, largely in opposition to public health orders and uh, from the Facebook group, Save Gunnison uh, County, Save Gunnison Businesses, and summer um, and also you know, closely associated with uh, some organized protests against public health orders. Uh, would the government, would government employees that are forcing businesses to close and people be out of work, be willing to forego their paychecks for the same period of time? This is, we know that we've seen uh, folks in our community calling for this. This was a, published in a letter uh, in both the Gunnison country times and the Crested Butte news. I'm going to send this to Roland Mason because Roland uh, votes on uh, salaries for government employees. Uh, Roland, what's your response?
5: Yeah, my response to that, um, is, you know, I understand people's frustrations, um, from this pandemic. I think every individual has been impacted or affected somehow, whether it was financial, emotional, physical, um, you know, but my answer to that is that the people that have been able to work through this, um, at least at Gunnison County, Um, have been doing a lot of work, and I would say most of it behind the scenes to try to continue the communication with the state, with the federal government, to try to get as much funding to our, you know, quite frankly, small uh, community of Gunnison County. I think, um, you know, the roads still need to be filled. The um, snow still needs to be removed and all those all those things um, need to continue as we as we move forward through this pan, you know through this stage of the pandemic i also want to say by providing already dedicated funds because we do set our budget the year before and those funds are there for for um, employees of gunnison county those folks are still able to maintain their rents they're able to pay their landlords or to pay their mortgages they're also able to you know, hopefully they're able to buy groceries with that fund. So the money that the Gunnison County is paying their employees is getting returned back to the economy and back to
0: well. And Ray, May, Roland, I want to just kind of clarify. I think that the specific specificity of the question here was the uh, employees. Uh, I don't know if we're talking about basic employees. I think that there is a, a specific. Uh,
5: Oh, sorry. If I got off topic, I apologize. No, that's um, a go ahead. You know, at, at this time, these are these crisis moments are when elected officials like myself and the the administration that runs the county. This is when people step up and and you know mitigate whether it's a forest fire, now a pandemic, which has never happened before, um, you know, in our lifetime. You know, these this is what people do, and and there are some steps to um you know some things put in place to to prop those things up like the um incident command eoc things like that but this specific this specific time is something that like i said there's no playbook for it and i believe that all the people that have been involved in the um COVID response has been acting from their heart and has been also been acting Um, from science and using pretty hard facts to move us forward and get us to the point that we're at right now, which I feel very fortunate to be in a place right now in this county where we are talking about recovery. We're talking about opening up. We're actually, you know, we're we're talking about some really positive things. So that that would be my answer to that.
0: So and I was always a very large part of the conversation around opening back up uh, and just about from the beginning of this crisis, a question that we've all had constantly is one of testing. Uh, so we do have a couple listeners submitted questions uh, regarding testing, although before we get into that, I wanted to give the opportunity to the folks on the, um, the COVID-19 response team to tell us about uh, uh, antibody tests that are now available to citizens of Gunnison County. What do we need to know?
4: Yeah, so th- this is Andrew, I'm, I'm happy to, to at least start and I'll let Joni get into some of the more science behind it, but uh, GVH did announce today um, that they will be opening up antibody testing to the general public. Um, it will be $75 um, and anybody can come in. There are a couple stipulations, um, one being that you are at least 21 days past your peak of symptoms. Um, and the reason for that is is that it takes a little while for your body to mount that IGG response, and they want to make sure that you are to the point where it would properly measure that IGG response. So they are starting um, tomorrow, uh, eight to four thirty. Um, no appointment necessary. You go and uh, register, first come first serve basis. Uh, at the north entrance of the hospital there. They ask that you wear a mask, wash your hands, uh, proper PPE before you do show up there. So um, we're very excited to uh, bring that news to the community today, and, and thanks to the GBH lab for making that happen uh, quickly. And I think Joni can speak a little bit to some of the nuances of the anti- antibody tests, sure. what it does, doesn't tell us, um, and uh what we hope to learn from
0: it. And Joni, I would like to hear from you. And in in your response, I was wondering if you can address why the decision was made to make this sort of a first come, first serve basis and to move away from targeted testing.
1: Hi, Chris. Yeah, it's Joni. And um, thanks for the question. This was a decision uh, that GVH made in order to be able to provide some testing for uh, the community. They have this testing system. It's an Abbott test. That's available that they uh, were able to procure through their uh, t- uh, supply line, and they were able to use it for their staff and for their employees. And they wanted to open that up further to the community. The test itself is under an emergency use authorization from the FDA, so it's not been fully vetted in the sense that FDA tests approval process are. None of them have. Uh, they're still in. They're still in the validation. Uh, study period. But the test result itself, as Andrew mentioned, it tests for a long-term antibody or an IgG, which is the one that comes uh, later in your infection, not the one early on that tells us that you're currently infected, but the one that says later that you've recovered from the infection. The test itself has some limits in that it tests to say positive or negative. Do you have that antibody test? It doesn't actually quantify it or amplify it in any way, which is, um, does have some limits in that regard. It also um, doesn't, as you know, the science doesn't currently tell us if that test is indicative of short-term protection or any protection against a reinfection or if it provides any long-term protection, partly because we just don't know enough about COVID-19 reinfections and the antibody protection. The test itself, the Abbott test does have good reliability at 100% in specificity for the COVID-19 virus itself at 99.3%, so less than a 1% specificity difference there, which is really impressive based on their validation studies to date, but again, still under the emergency use authorization from FDA.
2: Joni, I have a a question regarding that. there are the potential of people to maybe become overconfident if they realize they have antibodies and perhaps they think oh well I'm not going to get it and, and they start moving about the community and I would see a potential for that.
1: Yeah I see two potentials one is that um, we have seen it in very small numbers but we have seen in at least one individual where they had uh, negative tests developed uh, antibodies, tested positive for antibodies, but still continue to show positive for the PCR test for the virus, meaning they're shedding the virus for weeks, perhaps for many weeks. And so uh, what concerns me is that uh, the test itself doesn't yet tell us a lot about what what the protection is, whether it protects you fully from reinfection or at all from reinfection and whether it protects you for long-term. But um, it also doesn't tell us that you're not shedding the virus anymore either, which is one of the major reasons for wearing a face mask is to protect other people from unknowingly shedding any kind of virus, whether it's COVID-19 or anything else. Um, The face mask will provide some protection for individuals from others uh, shedding on them, really ideally both parties have a face mask on which gives the best protection, but wearing a face mask is as much about protecting others in the community, as much about protecting at risk individuals in the community and a symbolism really that we all care about each other, that there's a symbolism of solidarity too in wearing face masks. And I think that's a critically important consideration if someone might think that I'm protected, I'm not gonna get others sick, I'm not gonna get sick. And they might make a choice to not wear a face mask. And I think for a number of reasons, that's a choice that I would prefer that they didn't make.
2: Okay, I just got a uh, question from a listener, Chris, so I'm gonna go ahead and pitch it out there to anybody who wants to answer. And I'm gonna read it verbatim. Um, Here's the question, what if anything, what if anything we can do to undo the damage done to the poor communication to second homeowners who are my clients as a second homeowner builder? First, they are told they will be taxed at a higher rate because they aren't here 365 days a year. Then they're told to get out and don't come back until we tell you or you're going to have jail time or a fine. So I guess the question is to all of you, what do we do to mend those relationships? And and here's somebody who depends on second homeowners for his living. Um, What efforts are underway?
5: Sure, I can start with that. This is Roland Mason. Um, I've been fielding a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails um, around that kind of I'd say that sentiment around that question, and you know, currently, what I'm telling people, and I'm trying to reach out to as many people that um, have had issues or, or that have written in, is that you know we, I would say it right now we made some missteps with um, with some messaging early on. Um, the actual facts, though, did support that we um, shut everything down because of, and I know everybody's already heard about you know the capacity of our hospital the increase in the infection rate and things like that i won't go into that but you know now that we're on the other side of it i think it's really important that we continue to you know acknowledge that part-time residents visitors long-time residents we all make this community the great place that it is and so you know i've been a part of a, a video that was um out by some nonprofit organizations, uh, you know, reaching out to some folks that were really upset about the the card that they received, um, stating kind of what, you know, what was said there that if you're here, you need to leave, if not, um, then please don't come. I don't even think it said please, but don't come here right now. And so, you know, I think that that mending the fence and that that is going to be something that we're going to be working on for a long time. And I think that personally I think there was some undercurrents going on already before covid hit and I think this was just the, uh, the the iceberg underneath the tip if you will that is that was being exposed. So, you know, I think there's a lot of work we can do um, county level. We can um, you know, we're, we're we're working with the tourism association to get out that messaging that we, that we want people to come back We welcome you this was the circumstance and uh you know i'm going to continue to work on that one thing i have um, put in play or at least mentioned and i'm, I'm going to be working on this week is some kind of venue or some kind of voice some kind of place where um, part-time residents can actually get to uh, you know be part of a forum if you will where they can um, voice their concerns and so that's I'm trying to figure out how that works, but that's—I think that would be a good venue so that people aren't just venting on Facebook or on, in the paper. Um, that they actually are in a in a forum where they're um, listening to, you know, people that are making decisions um, at the government level. So.
0: It is 7 p.m. Uh, go ahead, Chris.
5: Well, I was just going to follow up with Roland, so that that
2: could potentially be available to others. Not just second homeowners, you know. I, I think we do need kind of to let the the valve open up a little bit and let some of the steam off because we're seeing the pockets of of anger, yeah. and and anger, you know, covers for fear, and yeah. so I think people really want to have that engagement and dialogue. I gave out my personal phone number this weekend to somebody who didn't like something I wrote, and and I think people need to have that dialogue, look each other in the eye. And say, man, I don't like this. What can you do about it? And then have you respond and say, look, we're doing the best we can. Right. I don't know. It's it's just a, a perception from where I'm sitting, but I think if that kind of venue was available, it, it might do some good.
5: Yeah, and and again, I'm working I'm working on that with um, some other folks, and and hopefully we'll be able to get something that's really productive and out here shortly.
0: You're listening to KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. We are heard at 90.3 KBUT Crested Butte and 88.7 kg i Gunnison. We are nearing the end of our conversation for this evening. My name is Christopher Biddle. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, and thank you to our panel for joining us. I did just want to um, spin off of that question a little bit and then um, sort of provide opportunity for... "Quote unquote" closing statements from our panel this evening. Um, We talk about a venue for uh, second homeowners that may have frustrations and concerns and questions. Um, We already have a venue for very well. We have uh, very many venues for uh, business uh, businesses to join the conversation uh, in these sector groups that have been established by the Ice Lab. Yet we are still seeing. A similar angst and anger coming out of some in the business community, not in an attempt here to necessarily pinpoint the sector groups because I will admit that i haven't uh, been able to attend many of the sector groups i don't know how I don't know a lot about how they operate, but I'm wondering if anybody on tonight's panel has any thoughts on sector groups and why some in the you know why some in the business community feel as though their voices are not being heard, if there are possibilities for improving the sector group organizations uh, to provide for more of that. So I'm just going to leave that out to uh, the whole panel, if anybody would like to uh, throw their hat in. Go ahead, Joni.
1: Hi, Christopher, it's Joni, and um, thanks for asking the questions. I have to tell you, I... I've received a tremendous value from the business sector work groups and the efforts that they've put in place to really provide input and insight to me about businesses and about their ability to mitigate and consider uh, risks in their specific business areas. It's really, it's really been tremendous and I've really been impressed with the commitment and the energy in those groups and just frankly, the direct feedback to me about what's beneficial for me to know as I consider uh, as we're moving forward here and how we can do that collectively. So um, the, the businesses that are participating, I think are doing a tremendous job and I personally am really grateful and I believe it's been influential and helpful for me as I think about the forward path and particularly for future public health orders and the reopening planning.
0: Awesome. Thank you for answering that, Joni. Um, now, so I think it's time that we start sort of thinking about uh, c- closing down our conversation. I do want to let listeners know that we will continue this conversation. As always, you can send questions uh, and comments. Please do send your comments or perhaps critiques that you may have for, uh, you know, any uh, officials that have made decisions during this uh, crisis, uh, or suggestions. Uh, we do appreciate it. If, uh, you know, if you're going to be sending a critique, send it in the form of a critique and not masked in the form of a question because that gums up a lot of our operations here. Um, and please do participate. I do want to go around and just ask, uh, in this coming week during these times of very fast changing, uh, issues, um, what to expect. And Johnny, I know that we, uh, you've mentioned some public health orders to come out this week. What else um, you know, from public health can uh, citizens be looking for? What are you going to be working on in the next couple of days?
1: So yeah, the public health orders that'll be issued tomorrow will have a number of changes to them. All of which are really designed to try to do an incremental reopening for a number of business sectors. And again with those business sector work groups and their efforts to really help me um, understand the various needs in the different businesses and their ability to mitigate risks, that, that really helped me to be able to do this stepwise plan. With uh, fitness industry for one-on-one training in same household groups, um, starting with the uh, Th- this week with exemptions along with guides and um, providing guiding services throughout the county starting next week. Along with uh, changes planning for uh, restaurants and uh, hotels and motels are all lodging to be able to immediately st- uh, start startup operations including projects and hiring staff and then looking for dates um, later in the month or on the 15th of the month uh, for lodging to be able to open at a limited capacity to get things started. Um, changing the at-risk category for ages and um, also including in there the change for travel in and out of the county and the restrictions. I also just wanted to emphasize that I really um, uh, added some wording in the public health orders really around places of worship and um, such an essential service that they have provided to our community throughout this um, event and throughout um, eternity. And so I'm quite grateful to those uh, places of worship that have really worked to accommodate the public health orders. And I wanted to acknowledge that. I also really wanted to work with them around um, making it work under the public health orders for those largest largest facilities to be able to have uh, groups that um, are physically distanced that may be larger than 10. And I wanted to say that one of the things that we're really continuing to focus on is really how do we how do we do this successfully in this transition? And one of the uh, pillars of success is really doing this stepwise, watching the data, and then working to box it in through uh, case contact and contact tracing. But also there's a role here for all of us in the community. And uh, there are commitments that we can each make individually that collectively will have a tremendous impact. And I've mentioned them earlier, but I really just wanted to emphasize the value in individuals really taking time to think individually about what they can do to help not only protect themselves but protect their neighbors and individuals in our community that are at risk and to protect us as a community as we work forward together to try to do the best we can to reopen successfully and to manage to stay on this path that we've successfully gotten to through individual actions that got this epidemic under control in this county at a level that's now manageable for our healthcare system, keeping it at that level will be paramount. Thanks, Christopher.
0: Thanks, Joni. I wanted to send this right over to Andrew, and we've gotten a listener question that's come in And just this last second, uh, and it would be a little specific. I know you're probably going to be working on it this week anyways, Andrew. Can you tell us a little bit about the possibility of a contact tracing app here in Gunnison County, and then maybe just talk about a where where we're at with contact tracing in general?
4: Yeah, thanks, Chris, this is Andrew. And and so we did put out a survey um, over the weekend, I believe we put it out on Saturday, um, asking the community their willingness to use a contact tracing app. And the, uh, the premise of the app um, is that if you came in close contact with a positive, you would be notified. Um, and I think there's been a little bit of confusion out there surrounding the app. Um, First of all, it would be completely voluntary. And I think that wasn't very clear uh, in the survey. So no one would be forced to sign up for it. And uh, basically it would work off of your Bluetooth and not your location services. So public health would not be tracking where you are day to day. Rather, the app would look at your proximity to other folks that have opted in for the app. And then if you hit the time and proximity threshold via your Bluetooth, it would count the other person as a contact. Um, And then down the road, uh, within the incubation period of the virus, uh, if somebody were to test positive, they could go back to the app and uh, notify their contacts um, that they are positive. And so in that way, it would empower the community in understanding whether or not they might have a potential exposure, and then it would be on that individual to isolate themselves and seek testing. Um, last check, um, I believe it was about 70% said they were not interested in the app, and about 30% said they were interested. Um, part of the reason of the survey was, is that uh, you know the more people that we have participate in an app like that, the more effective that it would be. and Uh, You know, so we're we're trying to gauge whether it's worth the time for development. We are very lucky uh, in that we have some very brilliant software engineers that have volunteered their time to develop this open source app. So it wouldn't actually cost the county any money. It just would cost the resource of time. And so we wanted to gauge with the community, uh, again, whether or not it was something that they would be interested in um, so that we could or couldn't pursue.
2: So I'm gonna jump on that, Andrew, because we shared that on the Gunnison Times uh, Facebook page and we got overwhelmingly um, uh, negative feedback on that because people do feel like it it could potentially be an invasion of privacy. And um, I, I just received another uh, question from, you know, a listener who is concerned that they were tracked during March and April with their cell phone because there are there is that technology and it's been shared nationally uh, about communities. How well are they social distancing based on their cell phone activity? And there is that perception that we are being watched. So what do you think?
4: Well, and so so one thing I will add, I believe we put an update out, I don't know, remember the date, but there were some major uh, players uh, that put out info by county on movement data and so the big companies your google and facebook they do have your location data if you opt into uh to tracking your location they can share that data if it's aggregated and anonymized. So, you know, even at the TA, we use arrivalists to understand visitor patterns. Yes,
2: you do, and I was just about to ask about that.
4: And then, so it is something that we use. You can't see any one person. You can't understand what one person did or where one person went. Rather, it's a large aggregate and anonymized data set. And so, early on, and there's a continual Google data set that tracks movement. Um, there's continual data sets that track cell phone movement, but it is not specified to any one person.
5: So
2: you're saying I'm just a dot moving around. You don't know where I'm going or who I am because you're, I get a map every month, and I don't know how to shut this off, but it tells me everywhere I've been in the last month that it's creepy.
4: <laughs> so so as far as uh, as Google would be concerned, yes, you're a dot, but as far as a consumer who is buying that data you would be a dot amongst a massive number of dots, and so you wouldn't know which dot was which, essentially. So that's the anonymized and aggregated portion. Okay. So you don't have any one specific dot that tracks around. Rather, you have 50 people showed up to this restaurant, and that's why it says the wait time is long, or there's 500 dots that are on this interstate, and that's why it's, traffic is backed up or so you know as far as a county level or a local level we do not have insight into any one person Um, and via this app that we proposed it would be uh, you know it would be on the individual again to volunteer to be a part of this program no one's being forced to do it no one would be forced to download the app and then beyond that you wouldn't be added to any system. Rather, you would just be alerted if somebody uh, that you were in close enough proximity with for long enough tested positive.
0: So I'm just going to go ahead and jump in here and say that this is going to be a great topic for further discussions. Uh, I can tell already that we're going to be bringing this one up. Uh, and perhaps we'll know a little bit more about the you know the app and, and, and whether or not it'll be developed and whether or not Gunnison County uh, folks... Will be willing to use it. Um, so I, I thank you, Andrew, for that. Again, I want to try to try to uh, round down our conversation here so that we can get our uh, our DJs back on the airwaves here at KBUT. Uh, first of all, Roland Mason, uh, what are you going to be working on this week, and what should the public uh, be expecting from you?
5: Yeah, this week, um, I'm like I said earlier, I'm going to be uh, working on on that platform, if you will, for um, other. Other than business owners, I would say um, you know we've been looking at things from inside out with these subgroups, and I think a lot of valuable, a lot of valuable information has come out of that. But again, I've been receiving a lot of calls and a lot of um, concerns from I would consider it I wouldn't say the outside in, but folks that aren't necessarily business owners here, but that do donate time, donate funds, they live here for a long time, even though they're they're not you know full-time, you know, residents of Gunnison County. And so that's what I'm gonna be working on for the next couple of days. And um, we have a meeting tomorrow that we will be discussing kind of what the other commissioners have been doing. So I'll get updates from that. I've also been working with region 10 out of, um, out of Montrose, but they do support Gunnison County and working on some more potential loans for small businesses there in the pipeline is around $6.3 million coming to region 10. And some of that is some matches that I think we that we will be able to come up with at the region 10 level. And so that's more of the midterm and long-term I'd say economic uh, recovery that, that we'll be working on and we'll be doing that as well with the County um, with our midterm and long-term projections.
0: Great. Uh, And finally, uh, uh, well, uh, well, John Norton, uh, please tell us uh, what you'll be working on in the near future. I can imagine that with the announcement of uh, these new guidance around events, uh, your phone is going to be ringing off the hook uh, this week. But tell us what you're going to be working on.
3: Well, reopening. And I just ask everybody to keep the faith.
0: Okay, short and sweet. Go ahead, Chris Rourke. What will you be working on this week? I think you have a paper to put out.
2: (laughs) Yes, I have a paper to put out. I'm working on numerous stories. Um, You know, I've been talking to a lot of people, a lot of people with a lot of uh, diverse opinions on how this is being handled, what we should do next, what we need for our, our economy. And I guess the one thing I would exhort is we are all gonna have different opinions. And if we can have dialogue in a respectful manner Um, Knowing that not everybody's going to agree, but find a common path forward. I think that's the best option. Um, It's easy to find somebody who agrees with your opinion and go corner off, but it's when you engage with somebody who does not agree with you and you can find common ground, I think that is the best way that we're going to really find solutions.
0: And I must say that uh, a great platform for that is your community radio station here, uh, KBUT. We've been so grateful, um, really honored and privileged, I would say, and uh, all of the above to have hosted uh, a series of public health officials, um, elected officials, school officials uh, in the past several weeks to uh, bring these conversations to our public. It's been great to um, be able to provide a way for the public to Send questions directly to these folks and um, to thresh out some of these conversations. So uh, whatever way forward the county does go forward, we will we will be talking about it here on KBUT Monday nights at 6 p.m. My name is Christopher Bedall, and I would just encourage you to keep listening to KBUT. Keep submitting your questions to news at KBUT.org. Find the Facebook page group to go with this and uh, keep an eye out at KBUT.org for a recording of tonight's show. Uh, And just one final thank you to our panel at 718. We're finally going to be letting you go. Thank you to everyone who joined us tonight.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Chris.